The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. Tonight, we're continuing our series entitled Engage, in which we're going to look at the questions that Jesus asked. My online sources tell me that Jesus asked a total of 173 questions. I love that Jesus, a guy rife with wisdom, a guy with so much understanding of, of knowledge, asked so many questions. Oftentimes, though, Jesus asked, didn't ask them because he needed an answer, but rather because uh, he wanted his followers to exercise their brains, to start thinking so that they could reach new levels of understanding. Most of the questions that I ask are not questions that allow people to exercise their brains. When I ask a question, it's because I want information or it's because I passively, aggressively want my little brother to do something. Uh, the last questions I asked him, his name is Tyler. I said, Tyler, why are there ice cubes on the kitchen floor? I did not want to know why there are ice cubes on the kitchen floor. I wanted him to pick them up. Um, Jesus never asked questions like that. Uh, thank goodness. He has better ones. And tonight we're going to take a look at this question that he asked. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? In a few minutes, we'll take a look at the context of that. Let's pray before we start. <laughs> Lord, we're here because of you. I pray that your word can be said tonight, Lord. Speak through me, Lord, and help us all to open our ears so that we can learn something. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> On Friday, I was at the airport for a couple of hours waiting at the top of a trio of ascending escalators. There were three escalators going up. And at the top of the escalators was an invisible barrier protected by a security guard. On uh, separating, this, invis this invisible barrier was separating those who were waiting to pick people up in the baggage claim area, me, I was waiting, from the people who were just getting out of, uh, getting their bags, you know, like you have to pass through security to enter that area of the airport, you know. They're leaving after getting off their flights from international places, coming up the escalator where I was standing, to where I was standing. Because the plane I was waiting for was an hour late, I got to witness a lot of people stepping off those escalators into the public baggage claim area to be greeted by their families and their friends. Needless to say, I witnessed a lot of embraces, a lot of embraces. Men dressed nice with roses, greeting their, their girlfriends, their wives with a lasting hug. Young adults and their younger siblings assisting their elderly grandparents with their bags after receiving a kiss. I saw children drop their bags as they went and jumped into the arms of their parents. The most memorable embrace was executed by two women who each had their arms around each other's backs and they were just walking everywhere together. Like, they were not walking in a straight line. They were just like, oh, forgot something. We'll go back this way. Uh, but they kept, they kept the hold, which was, I thought that was impressive. Uh, and one of them was crying because she was so happy to see the other person. Uh, I also saw a lot of other types of embraces. I saw someone give a simple hello followed by a hand gesture, motioning, let's go. I got my bags. Let's get out of here. I saw flight attendants step off the escalator with no one to embrace as they scurried along to the next destination. And I saw <clears throat> people make eye contact with each other and nothing more. Found each other, left to their car. 
why do I talk about all these interactions I witnessed at the airport? Not to bring morale down, not to emphasize the importance of, of a good embrace at the airport, but only to say, to acknowledge that we all have family. Yes, we all have a family. Some of us have been adopted into families. Some of us have families made up of people with the same biological mold. Some of us uh, didn't live with a mom and or a dad growing up, but rather with grandparents, aunts, or uncles, even cousins perhaps only. Uh, and perhaps, lastly, some of us are raised by a guardian, someone with no biological comparison to us at all, yet they still cared for us. There are many different variations of a family, as we can see, and so instead of classifying them as a biological family, let's call it a, a grow-up family. The family that you grow up with, grew up with is your grow-up family. And just like us, Jesus has a grow-up family. He also has another family, a spiritual family. Okay, we're about to open up right now to Matthew chapter 12. But before we do, I want to give you guys some context. Here, oh, my move. Here we have, thank you, Kelsey, um, an ancient map of Israel. And where we are in this story today, Jesus is inside of a house. We're going to pick up where Jesus is inside of a house, either in or around the town of Capernaum, in the region of Galilee, next to the Sea of Galilee. At this point in his ministry, uh, Jesus has, has raised a girl from the dead. He's healed a man of leprosy. He's healed a blind man, a mute man. He's already named his 12 disciples. All this to say, Jesus has begun. People are starting to understand that this man named Jesus is no ordinary man. That, that's what's happened so far. And so let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. <clears throat> While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here's my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Whoa. Those are strong words. Let's read it again to make sure that it is coded in our minds, okay? One more time. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Before looking at themes and dissecting what this text means for us, I want to address one thing. When I first read this, I thought to myself, what? There's no way that Jesus just told off his family like that, denied his family, showed them no respect. If anyone else had those same thoughts as I did, I want to clear this up really quickly. Jesus does love his grow-up family. Um, and I have two reasons for that. One, remember, Jesus was without sin. He was the only human to do so. That means he knew and kept the Ten Commandments. A man without sin keeps the Ten Commandments. 
One of them being honor your father and your mother. Not only did he know and keep them, but in Matthew 5.18, we see that he spoke highly of the laws in the Old Testament, which includes the Ten Commandments. He is quoted as saying, For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What I hear, what I hear, and that is, for all eternity, because I don't think heaven is going to pass away, for all eternity, the Old Testament law will continue being a law until I have something to say about it. All this to say, Jesus valued the Old Testament and kept the commandment of honoring his father and his mother. Okay, that was reason one. Reason two, denouncing the idea that Jesus doesn't love his family can be seen as Jesus was hanging on the cross, as he was hanging on the cross in pain, dying. Jesus saw his mother, Virgin Mary. He saw his mother in the crowd. Near his mother, he saw John, one of his 12 disciples, John. He then orchestrated a new relationship while he was hanging on the cross, he told his mother, uh, he told his mother that John would now be her son, and he told John that his mother would now be John's mother. From that time on, the Bible says John would take Mary, his new mother, uh, into his home to care for her. John would take this new mother that Jesus gave him into his own home to care for her, all because Jesus said so. I believe Jesus loved his grow-up family. Many other reasons, but those are two that I can think of. <clears throat> I believe that what, what may have seemed like a harsh denial in that text we just saw, uh, what may have seemed like a harsh denial, is actually just Jesus trying to make a point. He doesn't hate his family. He was trying to make a point about the importance of his other family, his spiritual family, which we're a part of as well. Hold that thought. We're a part of a spiritual family. We're a part of a spiritual family. Hold that thought. Okay, now we can dissect our text. Uh, we see a couple things. One, Jesus claims that the people sitting and listening to him in the house are his mother and his brothers. That's claim one. Claim two is he claims they are his mother and brothers because they are doing the will of the Father in heaven, the will of God. Okay, let's take a look at claim number one. Now, we can be pretty certain that the people sitting with Jesus in the room are not his grow-up family. Remember our text now. They're not his grow-up family because... What? Yes. His grow-up family is outside. Jesus is not sitting with his grow-up family. Uh, hopefully you guys are understanding grow-up family. It's his, it's his mom, <laughs> Virgin Mary, and his brothers. Jesus had brothers. Um, they're outside wanting to talk to him. Okay. Thank you, Shane. They're outside because they're outside. Um, <laughs> inside with Jesus, in the house, remember, near Capernaum, inside with Jesus is his spiritual family, which is why he calls those people sitting inside his brothers and his mother. So what is a spiritual family? I came across an article online about our text that satisfyingly highlighted the definition 
of a spiritual family. And it goes, a spiritual family is characterized by those who love the Heavenly Father and would do His will. It is marked by the one feature, obedience to God, the Heavenly Father. Obedience to the Heavenly Father is significant if someone is to experience the reality to this family. He tells us that like him, like Jesus, a true member of this spiritual family is one who would synchronize his or her heartbeat with God's. Guys, when we choose to do his will, we are dynamically aligned with him. And all, also to all people worldwide who have chosen to submit to him. Um, this family, this family, this spiritual family that we have the choice to be a part of, this can be far richer and certainly more satisfying than any non-godly related relationship we have on this earth. The random people that I meet in life with whom I have commonalities within, or in regards to goals and purpose, those people become the most comforting people and life-giving people to be around. It's not guaranteed that our conversations will always flow like a river or that our interests will always align so that we become best friends every time with someone who's a Christian has the same purpose as me and value as me, values as me. But um, to know that our purposes, simply just to know that me and someone else's purposes in life line up, that's comforting to me. I was driving home from California a month ago. I worked in Irvine last year in Orange County, and I crossed the Oregon-Washington border in my car alone, and I had to get some... Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> so I'm getting gas, and uh, I look over, the, and there's a guy with a pot belly, this like a huge belly. This guy's chest was, it was like a normal chest, but some, like the one thing I remember about this guy is that his stomach was like, like uh, a, there was just a ball in his stomach. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make fun of him, I'm just trying to give you guys a description of what happened. Jolly guy, he looked at me, he's not Santa Claus. He looked at me, and he said, where are you coming from? He was like 20 feet away. He walked up to my car, put his, hand, put his arms on the, the bed of my truck. He's like, where are you coming from? I don't know this guy. I said, I'm coming from Orange County. Where are you coming from? Uh, he says, I'm coming from L.A. I actually just dropped a hitchhiker off, he said. And I'm like, how do you choose whether or not to pick up a hitchhiker? We, we started talking. And uh, 35 minutes later, I knew this guy's name. I knew that what this guy was all about. I knew that this guy cared for me. We had talked for 20 minutes about what I was going to do in the future. I'm here right now. I have this job, which is awesome. We were talking about like how I was going to make that decision. This guy knew Jesus. That's the only reason I was there for 35 minutes talking to him. What I was going to, I was going to stay at that uh, gas station for four minutes. I'm like, honestly, in my head, I was like, this is going to be the quickest gas stop ever because I want to get home. And I'm there for 35 minutes talking to this guy who, who was just a good guy. He knew Jesus. I trusted him because he knew Jesus. Guys, we're all a part of, of that spiritual family as well. <clears throat> um, okay, next slide. Jesus claims in the latter, <clears throat> excuse me, the latter half of our text that those who do the will of God are his mother and brothers. I believe at this very moment, as we are gathered here reading and thinking about the Word of God, we are a part of that spiritual family because we are living out God's will for us. That's what we're doing right now. 
Dale Bruner is a biblical scholar. He's from Los Angeles. He's written thick books. Jenny and Ryan know of this guy. They would attest to his wisdom. Uh, I was looking at one of his books about this text, and I read <clears throat> this. The, dis- the disciples in the house sitting on the floor. This is about the text that we are reading tonight. The disciples in the house sitting on the floor do not seem to be doing anything to deserve such an accolade of being called Jesus' brothers and sisters. They're not doing anything. In fact, the book of Mark, which also has the story that we are talking about tonight, the book of Mark says that the disciples are just sitting around Jesus. Perhaps Jesus is in the middle, and they're sitting around him in a circle, doing nothing, saying nothing. But Jesus says, they're already doing the will of my Father in heaven. What can we learn from that? Doing, um, doing God's will begins with hearing it. They were just listening to Jesus, guys. Doing God's will begins with hearing it. Being a sitting disciple of Jesus, Jesus' word in his church, what you guys are doing, sitting and listening, not to Jesus. Um, being a sitting disciple of Jesus' word in his church is the, re- is the relation presupposed, the initial requirement for doing the walking will, not the sitting, the walking will, the doing of Jesus in the world. That resonated with me a lot. Um, We must sit and listen before doing. Luke describes, Luke, the author Luke, uh, Luke describes doing the will of God as hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. Doing God's will is not an enigma. It's not something that's puzzling or difficult to understand. I feel like God's will is a confusing thing to a lot of people, including myself. It's not an enigma. It's not something difficult to understand. Um, Put God's word into practice. Pray. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Be a servant. Stay in the word. Honor God with your actions and thoughts. Avoid worshiping idols like money or fame. Tell others about Jesus. Rest. Put others before yourself. That's God's will for us, to do those things genuinely and consistently. This is what permits us entry into the wonderful spiritual family that started with Jesus. And this is a big family. It's a big family. Does anyone know how many Christians are in the world? Or say it, people say that they're Christians? I don't. I'm wondering if anyone does. No? Guess? Well, there's a lot. There's got to be over 700 million. I think there's over 700 million. <clears throat> Maybe. Um, that being said, there are many Christians on this earth who do their best. Many Christians on this world who do their best to carry out God's will. I ask now, in a moment, that you'd all close your eyes and think for a moment about the one, two, three or four brothers or sisters in Christ that you would consider closest to you. Those, uh, those who you know you can talk to both about your pains and your joys. Let's take a minute to think about who these people are. Pray for them and thank God for their presence. And if you can't think of anyone off the top of your head, rack your brain. Who has reached out to you lately? Who do you see as someone that would be a good person to get to know? Ask God to remind you as you listen to him. Go ahead and think or pray silently to yourself and I'll bring us back 
together. This story that we read tonight speaks of the expansion of our family. Our relatives extend further than to just those whom we grew up around. Jesus himself and those who listen to his word and are obedient to him find themselves on the family tree as well. So next time you find yourself exiting off of an ascending escalator, regardless of the type of embrace you receive from your grow-up family or if you even receive an embrace at all, know that Jesus is there and your spiritual family will always be there to welcome you back. Thanks, guys.